Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am so very glad that you are here. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you are and wherever you are, welcome to the Foundry Church, um, where we are all about a better you and a better world. Thank you for tuning in to the foundry.c.org.church.life.net.com. We're so very grateful for you to be a part of today. So today we begin a new series, uh, and we're calling it Nothing Changes If Nothing Changes. This series has been something that's been on my heart my mind for quite some time now, and I think this is a beautiful, wonderful time to begin to go through this. Uh, nothing Changes If Nothing Changes is one of the slogans. It's the phrases that's used by uh, AA. Uh, it's used by other recovery groups to, um, you know, just as it's kind of one of the mantras, one of the phrases that they're familiar with. And so what we're going to be doing is going through the 12 steps of recovery, but we're going to be going through this through like a spiritual and biblical perspective, because believe it or not, those 12 steps basically mirror or parallel the gospel message of Jesus. And I got to tell you, I really believe this is going to be a series that if you will let it, if you will participate in it, I believe that this has the ability to bring deep transformation into your life. Now, you may immediately have the thought, well, isn't AA, aren't these 12-step programs, aren't those for like people with major issues, big issues, you know, like addicts, people with drinking problems, people with drug problems. That's, that's for those people. This isn't for me. I, I've got news for you. Um, this, this is for everyone. This stuff is so much bigger than drinking and drugs. And this, um, you know, drinking drugs is a part of it, obviously, but this is about us dealing with our junk. This is about dealing with the garbage that we may have been hiding or sweeping under the rugs or ignoring for some time. Uh, this is about addressing these issues and then working through this process to, to have this more holistic and integrated self. Well, yeah, but Seth, I, I, I don't really have a drinking problem. I don't have any like addictive type tendencies. Well, maybe this will help you think of it. Uh, in, in a different light. First of all, we all have addictive tendencies. Second of all, if you really struggle with that word addict or whatever and you don't want to be associated with it, that's fine. Uh, you can just kind of overlay this idea of addiction uh, or, or addict with the idea of what the Bible would call sin, right? So this is something we all wrestle with. This is something that everyone deals with. Sin, like addiction, is this destructive force in our lives that prevents us from experiencing life to the fullest. And since here at the Foundry, we want you to experience life to the fullest. And since we're all about a better you and a better world, we thought this would be a really great series. Also, because the world is a bit odd right now. It's a bit off and people are wrestling with all different kinds of things. Fear, anxiety, how do we deal with things that are beyond our control? These are all things that um, addicts, people with addictions, typically wrestle with on a regular basis. So we thought, you know what, this seems like a great fit uh, for the world we find ourselves living in and the direction we want to be able to walk and head through all this. So... Yeah, I'm excited. Nothing changes if nothing changes. So today, I want to give you a little bit of insight, uh, introduction to the what's and the why's and the how's of the series, and then we'll get into the first step of the 12 steps, okay? So the reason that the 12 steps are so valuable, the reason that they're so important, the reason that they work is because there's this holistic approach to the healing. It's not just about behavior modification, it's about taking this path that leads to actual transformation. It's about this deep work that helps you to get to the thing behind the thing. 
I've heard it said that when it comes to addiction, whether it's alcohol or whatever the thing is, that the problem isn't the, the thing that you're seeing, right? If, if, if the problem is drinking, the drinking problem isn't the problem. It's the symptom of the problem. The drinking problem isn't the problem itself. It's the symptom of the problem. The idea is that, um, is that the need to drink isn't the, is the response or the result of something else. It's the thing behind the thing that's driving it. So if I just stop trying to uh, stop the drinking behavior, I may be able to change the habit for a little bit, but I will not experience this deep, true, lasting transformation because I didn't deal with the thing behind the actual thing. You, you see um, a great example of this in some of those extreme weight loss shows. Do you remember the ones with like Jillian Welch? And Is that Jillian Welch? Is that her name? Jillian? Yeah, sure. Why not? Gillian? Gillian Welch is an artist. Jillian Michaels. There we go. I confused a folk singer with an exercise icon. That happens sometimes. Uh, Julian Michaels, <laughs> she had the Extreme Weight Loss Show. And what you would see is they'd take these people that were dealing with some sort of weight issues who were overweight, they would bring them into this boot camp, they would try to teach them how to eat healthier, try to teach them how to cook healthy meals, try to develop new exercise habits within them, create these new processes. But what the trainer was looking for, there was like this turning moment in the shows, do you remember this? It was like the breakthrough moment. This was like the thing that the trainer was trying to get the person to get through. They could go through all the habits and, and, and exercise and all this stuff, but they were really trying trying to get through this breakthrough moment. You remember like they, they'd be exercising for a couple weeks now. They're not eating as much. They're not sleeping as well, whatever. And they've got this um, like this anxiety that they're dealing with. And so the trainer's really laying into them about why do you think you eat all the time? And they're like, I don't know. And they're like, yes, you do. What's going on? And so eventually they break them down. And eventually the person gets to this place of like, well, it's I was eating because that was the only time I felt like I was in control. And so that's what the trainer's looking for, is this, this breakthrough moment to get to the thing behind the thing. That, 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 that's, that's what they're looking for because the eating was the result of the symptom. The eating wasn't the problem, right? It wasn't enough just to modify the behavior. It wasn't enough just to give them a new diet, a new, a new plan. Eating wasn't the problem. It was a symptom of the problem. The trainer had to get to that deeper place for the true transformation to take place. If you don't get to the thing behind the thing, you'll end up settling for behavior modification. You'll settle for substance from a sobriety, or a sobriety from a substance rather than deep transformation. Have you ever been to a recovery meeting of any type? Maybe you've been as support, maybe you've seen one on TV, maybe you've gone yourself. Uh, I've been able to go a few times with a few different people in support roles. And I gotta tell you, these times, these places, these meetings are about as real and as open and as raw as you're going to get because people that go to recovery meetings aren't there to mess around. They, they, they've realized they need help. And, and these meetings are raw. There, there, there are no facades, there are no masks, there are no, there are no putting on of airs. It's just people in their truest form acknowledging the good, the bad, and the ugly of themselves. And believe it or not, it's, it's like this really refreshing sort of thing. I, I've often felt like maybe this is even how church should actually be. This is what church should feel like because those meetings are... Those meetings are sanctuaries. Those meetings are holy, sacred moments where people acknowledge everything they are and everything they are not. And it's this really beautiful sort of thing. And I don't want to hyper-romanticize them, but there's so much power in a place and in a moment 
like a recovery type meeting. The truth is the 12 steps mirror and parallel the gospel message. The 12 steps mirror the teachings of Jesus. But what it seems like is that the church and, and Christians have done is they've taken this transforming power of the gospel message, the gospel message of Jesus that's about rescue and liberation in the here and now, and we've made the rescue and liberation about something somewhere else, someday else, some other place, which means that the hope that Christianity, claim, Christianity claims to offer isn't so much about here and now as it is about sometime later. And then I think what we see is that rather than getting to the thing behind the thing that will actually lead to real transformation, the thing that will lead to enlightenment, the thing that the church has settled for, I think is a bit less. The, the church is, to me, seems sometimes like we settle for behavior modification. We've settled for someday things will be better. Someday things will be better. Uh, you, you will experience salvation if you believe the right things about certain issues. If you believe the right things about the authority of the scripture, if you believe the right things about the Trinity and how it works, if you believe the right things about the Holy Spirit, then salvation can be yours. And you'll be saved now, but that salvation won't be fully experienced until, you know, like after you die, which I kind of wonder if that really is the good news. I mean, I guess it's good, but is it really something that's going to help me now? Right? So what we've done, what I think the church has done, is we've elevated what we call orthodoxy over what you would call orthopraxy. Right? Orthodoxy is the, the knowledge of doctrine, the belief statements sort of thing. But ortho, orthopraxy is how do, we like carry that self, how do we carry that belief out into our lives? And I think we've elevated that orthodoxy over the orthopraxy, which means we've put our salvation in what we believe rather than in how we believe. We've put our hope in, in this theory rather than an actual practice. And I believe the unintended result of a faith that's based on knowledge, a faith that's uh, primarily lived through the head, is that the this faith hasn't taken root deep within the entirety of our being. And what happens, I think, is that when our faith is rooted primarily in knowledge and in our head, rather than within the entirety of our being, is that you come, when you come to some sort of actual crisis, some sort of actual difficulty in your life, you know, like a virus that's taking over the world and we're all like quarantined and removed and isolated from each other. Whenever there's a crisis like that that happens when you have this head knowledge based faith, it's easy for that faith to get blown over in the winds of uncertainty. I think a knowledge based faith leads to religion and this is the, the thing that we see happening because then you end up fighting over what you believe, right? And, and this is why we see so many divisions in so many different religions. All, it's all over the world. And in, and in pursuing this orthodoxy about the doctrine and the, you know, the knowledge and, and, and what we believe, I think it's possible that we've actually minimized the gospel message of Jesus. I think we've minimized the healing teachings of Jesus, the transforming power of the practices of faith that he has actually called us to. You see, <clears throat> this is what we're seeing in this crisis. This is what we're going to be going through and why we're going through this series that we're going to be walking through these steps, doing this work. Because one of the phrases they use is, it, it, it works if you work it, right? If you go through this and you actually practice these things and you put these into your life, you will begin to see a difference. And, and I believe that if you work these steps, it will lead to a lasting transformation, which is leading to a better you and a better world, which is leading ultimately to a life to the fullest, which is the very thing that Jesus has called us to.
The truth is that we as humans are all addicts. Human beings are addictive by nature. If we find something we like, we want more of it. We are creatures of habits and patterns and routines. Uh, I saw a graphic the other day. Maybe you've seen this. It's been floating around online. I thought it was um, really interesting. It was a graph that called me, caused me a bit of concern with everything we're going right now. But maybe you've, you've seen it. It looks like this. Let's walk through it. <laughs> <laughs> this is a wonderful graph that talks about the relative importance in 2020 so far. So as you can see, it's got the issues that we're dealing with here. It's got the months this way. This is a super um, official graphic. <laughs> so uh, coffee, coffee has stayed pretty important so far. It's, it hasn't wavered at all. It's got up or down. We still have that thing. The car, you can see from January to March, has dropped in, in, in importance. We're not going as many places. We don't have that. The internet obviously has gone up because that's the way we're communicating. Shaving, well, made it through March and then took a straight dive down at the end March. We've all stopped shaving because nobody's got anywhere to be. And the only reason you're shaving now is if you have to get online to talk to somebody. Alcohol, this, <laughs> this one went along here until March and then was shut off the charts, by the way, off the charts. Uh, I think it was, I was talking with uh, Joseph, our worship leader this week, and he said um, that New Jersey was the first place, uh, the first state to deem liquor stores as essential businesses, <laughs> which, which is fascinating on many different levels. So uh, there you go. You see that going through the roof. Toilet paper, it went through March. It had a big spike. There was a lot of panic. Well, I don't know why. And there was a lot of bad Christian memes about toilet paper, by the way. Avoid those if possible. And then it's kind of dropped off in April, and we'll see where it goes. And then sweatpants, has, uh, I've seen an, an increase over the past couple of months. It's a slow kind of gradual. It wasn't a spike because what this line shows us is that we're, we were all kind of skeptical. Well, do we really need to stay home? Yeah, okay, I guess I'll use my sweatpants. And then they've become more and more practical as we've stayed at home more and more and more. So this is, <laughs> this is a graph of relative importance of these items in 2020. Hmm. Now, the thing, it's supposed to be humorous, obviously. The thing that I find most concerning about this in this whole thing, because I think there is some truth to it, and this is, you know, my warning kind of message to you, is my concern in all this is really the, is the sweatpants, because my fear is that you're going to keep wearing these after we're allowed out of the house, and you're going to show up in church in sweatpants. So, if you can, please, at all possible, remember that sweatpants are not the answer for all things, and that you should eventually put them back in your drawer, okay? That's your PSA for the day. <laughs> let's, let's move on before I get carried away. Now, we're, we're all addicts. We, we all have some issues we're dealing with. It's just that when it comes to, to stuff like this, um, when it comes to addiction, substance addictions, um, things like alcohol and drugs, they get a lot of attention because those issues and the problems that they come become very visible. We're, we're, but we all have things that we're dealing with, whether we admit it or not. This graph is supposed to be funny, but... Um, we, the, coffee is the most uh, drank beverage in the world or something, so... Uh, many people have, we don't call it an addiction. We don't really seem to have a problem with it. Um, but we do have other addictions. You know, whether it's coffee or soda, there's this addiction to caffeine. Your body and your mind crave it. And so if you find yourself where you can't go for a day without the coffee or the, or the soda, without feeling a headache or without getting tired, or if you can't go for a day without getting, like, feeling sort of off or whatever, that is an addiction, right? It's just that we've deemed that one to be more socially acceptable because the effects of it aren't as drastic or as, as dangerous, do you see? Um, what about the internet? Technology, cell phones. Right now, these things are keeping us connected, which is fantastic, but have you noticed like, the need to be on it more? 
I find myself randomly, if, I, if, if there's a break in my life, just grabbing for my phone to check to see what's happening. Like now it's becoming this impulse to grab for the phone even more so than I already was. And that's a bit unnerving to me. Uh, maybe that's not your struggle though. Maybe you don't struggle with drugs or alcohol or technology. Um, but we all have something or we have multiple things. And my guess is if you were to look close enough and you were to look hard enough and you were to look long enough, you would eventually start to see something. Maybe the thing you're addicted to is your way of thinking, that you have it all right, that you have all the answers. Maybe, maybe you're addicted to your ego. Maybe you're addicted to that relationship. Codependency is not a laughing matter. It can cause serious issues. And whether that relationship is healthy or unhealthy, um, probably unhealthy because of the codependency, that can be, um, that can be a... A lifetime struggle. That can be a very difficult thing. Maybe, maybe you're addicted to your political view. Maybe you're addicted to Netflix, Hulu, Prime, whatever, and you just always have to make sure that you have something to watch in order to distract you from your own reality. Maybe you're addicted to food. Anybody here deal with any weight issues? Maybe you're addicted to comfort. Oh, well, that's not a bad thing. Yeah, we go out of the way so much to avoid pain that Comfort becomes the addiction, and if we don't have comfort, then all of a sudden we start to get a bit twitchy, don't we? Maybe you're addicted to buying stuff, and it's not really about what you buy. It's just that you like the feeling of getting to purchase and exchange money for some sort of goods. Maybe you're addicted to collecting things. When is too many ceramic pigs too many? Probably two is too many. Uh, Not that collecting things is wrong. I'm just saying uh, there's nothing wrong with ceramic pigs, but... It's really easy to, to have these collection things actually become addictive behavior. Maybe you're addicted to money. Maybe you're addicted to security. What about certainty? Maybe you're addicted to that, making sure that you know and have all the right facts and have all the answers and that you know what's going to happen the next year, five years, ten years. What about pornography? What about physical appearance? Are you addicted to your physical appearance that everything is about how you look, how you dress, how you... I've even known some people, maybe you've known some people, maybe, maybe you are these people who are absolutely addicted to low self-worth. Many of these people call themselves Christians. People who are addicted to the primary identity that I am nothing but a wretched lowly sinner. Maybe you know these people. Maybe you're addicted to what you think about religion. Maybe you're addicted to religion. Think about it, you show up each week, you show up online, show up in the building eventually. You show up to get your little fix, your little shot of that religion to keep you going and afloat till the very next week till you can get that fix again. Yeah. So did I get everybody there? I I should have stepped on everybody's toes at least once because that's all of us. You see what I'm saying? This series is not just about drugs and alcohol. This series is about deep transformation within all of us. And here's the thing, true freedom from any of this will only come if we're willing to abandon our current patterns and models of thinking. True freedom will only come if we're willing to abandon our current patterns and models of thinking. This is why we call this nothing changes if nothing changes. Freedom will only come from leaving our current ways of thinking behind and starting to move and walk through these practices that will lead us away from this dualistic framework that we've been operating in and allow us to live in a deeper, richer, non-dual way of being, which I don't have time to go through today, but this is where the real transformation will begin. Now, all of that being said... Before we get to the first step, can I take a minute, and maybe this is, this is good for all of us, can we just take a minute, 
close our eyes and have a little prayer, right? Can we have a little prayer? And, and I want to pray over you, pray for you, that, that you will be open to this process, that you will be brave enough and bold enough to take this journey, um, that, that you will not come into this with any preconceived notions, but rather that you will allow God to intervene in a deep and powerful way in your life. Because I, I believe that this series is going, to be, is going to be impactful. And I believe that this series is not going to be for the faint of heart. And it's going to take a lot of hard work and it's going to take a lot of effort. And I believe that this journey is for anyone who wants to experience a deep transformation in their life. So let me pray for you. Let's just take a moment to pause, to calm, to pray, and then we'll get started. Dear Lord, I, I thank you for this time. I thank you that there is so much that you have in store for us. I thank you that you desire a connection with us. I thank you that you desire for us to live better. God, I thank you that your desire for us was so great that you sent your son, Jesus, to come, to rescue, to intervene, to provide liberation, to teach us how to live and to be, to give us an example of what it looks like to die and be resurrected. God, we're so very grateful for these things. God, I ask that you will give us an extra portion of strength and boldness in this time, the courage to walk through this process, the courage to take this journey the courage to be vulnerable in this moment. The courage to pursue deep, lasting change. God, we thank you for these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, are you ready? Are you ready to rumble? This is what this next 12 weeks is going to be about. This is going to be the ultimate smackdown between you and yourself. You are your own worst enemy. And so we want to begin to work through all of that. Step one, are you ready? Step one, admit powerlessness. Step one, admit powerlessness. <clears throat> this is a big step. The first step is always the hardest, right? This step, oh, here's the definition of this, by the way. This step is about admitting that individuals struggling with addiction just don't have control over their lives. From chaos can come recovery. Admitting that individuals struggling with addiction just don't have control over their lives. Again, maybe you're wrestling with, I don't struggle with addiction. Uh, replace this with, like, sin or something else. And obviously, as we've seen, we all have stuff that we're wrestling with. Admitting we're powerless. This is a difficult thing. This is like simple in theory. Yeah, I get that. I understand to admit, I'm, oh, I, don't, I can't do anything about it. But to like actually carry this with you is a deep sort of thing. If you've been in church a while, maybe you've grown up in church, this, this should sound fairly familiar. Like this is the step one of becoming a Christian anyways, right? Believing that we need help, believing that we need rescue. Surrendering of the self, this is everything that the Bible talks about. So this is a great place to start. But again, simple in thought, difficult in practice. If you're saying to yourself, well, again, I don't really see the need. This is not really a thing for me. Um, I, I, I don't struggle with that. Look, the fact that you're having an attitude about this whole thing says that you haven't admitted that you are powerless. And that comes from this ego. And it's the ego that wants to be in control. And this is everything that we wrestle with all the time. You know, um, in the church, 
Uh, and in the Bible, this is not a new thought by any means. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 7 for a good bit. In fact, uh, let me show you the verse and then <laughs> I'll show you something cool about the verse. Okay, here's what Paul talks about. Here's just a quick snippet, Romans seven fifteen. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Now, last time I used this passage several months ago, uh, I talked about how you never have people, Christian people, putting this verse in their house. You know, if you go to somebody's house, uh, normally they'll have something like a, a, a sign or a, a wall vial or something, and it's like, me and my house will serve the Lord. It'll be like, uh, his grace is sufficient. But you don't ever see this verse. I do not understand what I do. And so the last time I talked about this, I made a big thing about it. And I said, you know, I want this verse on a vinyl or on a frame or something so I can put it in my house. And then so the very next week, I received this gift from Miss Kim Meeks, which I, it's um, needlepoint stitched. I, I don't know what you call this. Cross stitching? Knitting? Weaving? Is this basket weaving? I'm not sure what this is. Anyways, um, cross stitch. Uh, I do not understand what I do. Romans 7.15. So I put this in my office. So anytime uh, people come to yell at me, I just point at the sign and now I have, I think I'm going to put that in my house as well, like a big vinyl of it. I do not understand what I do. Right? This, is, this is Paul pointing to this idea of being powerless. He's speaking to this inner voice. These thoughts that we may think but um, maybe are, are a bit afraid to say out loud. Like we, we don't walk around saying to people, man, I wish I didn't behave that way. Or, I really don't know what came over me. I don't know why I just kept arguing. I knew I was wrong in the middle of the argument, but I kept arguing. I just kept going. By the way, um, how many of you, now that we're stuck at home more, do you find yourself having to deal with things in your relationships that you've overlooked for a while because you've been able to sweep it under the rug of busyness, and now things are boiling up to the surface because you can't get away from each other? Yeah, now all of a sudden we have to deal with this stuff. I don't know why I'm arguing. I don't. We have to be able to acknowledge and own our own powerlessness on this atomic level within our being. Otherwise, deep transformation will be hard to come by. Again, this step, admitting powerlessness. Very easy to think about, very difficult to put into practice. It, it takes getting to the end of the self. It takes coming to this place um, that, that, that you no longer are the answer. Because as long as we think we have gas in the tank, as long as we think we have the power, the ability to fix things, we're going to keep trying to be the solution to the answers. Maybe, maybe some of you know what I'm talking about, about getting to the end of the self. You ever been in a place like that? Like the place of, of just utter brokenness, of complete shame? of absolute failure where you've hit the bottom and you can't get any lower and you're out of energy and you're out of resources and nobody is coming to bail you out. You know that place? Some, some of you know that place. Because this is the place where you might be open to admitting that you are powerless. The truth is it can be hard to get to this place to be ready and willing to take that first step to say, yes, I am powerless because if you haven't gone through some stuff, it's kind of difficult. You know, especially if everything's worked out for you in your life or if life has been fairly easy. If things work out for you long enough, you may even begin to believe that you are the one that has enough strength and fortitude to get yourself through anything. The crazy thing is that if you really think about it, if you break down that mentality, is that's kind of like the heart and the thought process behind 
like the American ideal or, or this idea of the American dream is that if you just work hard enough, if, if, you, if you put in enough time and put enough effort, then you will accomplish these things. Or maybe you've heard things in our culture like when the, tough get, uh, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Maybe you've heard or said things like, well, he's, he's a self-made man, he's a self-made woman. Maybe um, you've heard the phrase something like, just pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Right? These are all things that are built into our cultural, culture. Ideas and thoughts that we are raised in, that we are ingrained in from a very young age. And so for this idea to admit you are powerless, it doesn't really line up with our cultural rhetoric, does it? It's kind of actually opposed to it. This thinking, these ideas have, have, have gone from our country into our churches as well. I mean, one of the, if, there's, this, there's this one particular passage, and it's not even really a passage, but this, this quote that people apply to the Bible that's one of the, like, the craziest misunderstandings, mistranslations um, of the gospel message that, that I've ever heard. And maybe you've said this, and I don't, I'm not picking on you, but just, just think through this, okay? We're talking about this idea of this Amer- American idea, this American dream is about like what we do for ourselves. You know, um, we build our business, we create our life, whatever. Uh, and then we bring that into the church. And then somebody goes through some sort of difficulty and some other well-intentioned person attempting to console them in their difficulty will say something like this. Maybe you've said this, maybe you've heard this. Well, you know, God will never give you more than you can handle. Really? God will never give you more than you can handle couple things about this. First of all, that's not a thing <laughs> at all. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say that at all. Uh, secondly, if you are capable of handling everything in your life, then what do you need God for? It might be that you are actually God. If you, maybe I need to be praying to you. Maybe you're the solution to my problems. Do you see? God will never give you anything that you can't handle. No, that's not the thing. That ties into like the cultural thinking more than it does the biblical thinking. The cultural says, no, you can do it. You are a self-made man. You can, and God's, the Bible's like, no, no, no. That, that's not the way this whole thing works. And we have taken the cultural and we've allowed the cultural to twist the biblical. And then we've said that this biblical thing that's been twisted is the actual thing when it's not even close to it. Yeah. So again, step one, really easy to think about really tough to do because our culture values toughness. Our culture values independence. And those ideas have influenced the church so much so that we're not sure where the culture starts and the church begins. You see, like it's overlapping in this weird sort of muddled way. The problem, you see, with this kind of head knowledge of faith, this independent, I'm in control based religion is that when you come into like a real actual crisis situation, all of that thinking begins to get unraveled. And that's what we're seeing. That's what we're learning right now in this situation with this coronavirus is that we don't have control. We don't know how things are going to go. We don't know where this thing is going to end. We don't know what the future holds in any of this. And what we're learning now is just how dependent on people we are outside of ourselves. We're learning how little we know about like how to actually live without a grocery store. You know, I've had, uh, I've had more people in the past three or four weeks reach out to me and want to talk about chickens and goats and plants and all this stuff than in the two and a half years that we've moved into the country, right? Because what we're seeing is that people are getting this slight sense of 
oh my goodness, where is all this going? I don't know what to do with this. And there's this bit of underlying anxiety and panic. If there's ever a time that we've felt powerless, which is very rare in our culture and in our society because we are always the tough ones. We're always the world's police. We're always the ones in charge. This is one of those moments where we're getting to experience this sense of powerlessness. We've all finally come to a place to acknowledge and accept that we're not as strong and independent as we thought we were. The fact that something started on the other side of the world and we're feeling the effects of it and can't do anything about it shows us that we are not in control. This can be a big shot to our ego. Our ego that has to have all the answers. Our ego that says, I can solve this. Our ego that says, I can fix this. Our ego that strives to maintain control and power in a normal situation, even more so in a difficult situation. The ego sits at the heart of most conflicts. We want to be right, and it's hard for us to admit we're wrong. And if that ego keeps that thing going, it's the ego that fuels the need for more, 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 more money, more, you know, more power, bigger businesses, bigger houses. So to admit we are powerless is a really difficult thing. To admit we're powerless, that can only really actually happen if we're willing to let go of the ego. I've heard it said, <coughs> if we try to change our ego with the help of our ego, we will only have a better disguised ego. Yeah, let's read that again after I take a drink. If we, try to dis <clears throat> if we try to change our ego with the help of our ego, we will only have a better disguised ego. We cannot use the ego to bring change and transformation. We cannot engineer our own transformation. It's not the way it works. The only way true transformation will happen is by letting go of the ego, by letting go of the self. This is the most difficult thing to do. This is one of the hardest, if not the hardest steps in the whole process. <coughs> And here's the thing, is if we don't do it, nothing will change. Nothing changes if nothing changes. The plane will never get off the ground if we don't take this first step. This is why the scriptures, the scriptures talk a lot about this kind of stuff, about the dying to self, about the denying the self, about death, burial, and resurrection. You cannot have resurrection without the death and the burial. Jesus talks about this. In fact, we used this passage last week when we were talking about Easter. John chapter 12, verse 24. Uh, last week we used this about gardening, but I want to reread this same passage through the lens of admitting our powerlessness and understanding this idea of dying to the self. Look at this. John chapter 12, verse 24. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So the way that life is accomplished is through death. The seed must fall to the ground if it's going to produce more seed, if it's going to produce fruit. It's only through the letting go, through the death of the self, that growth, new life, and real transformation is possible. You see, real, deep, spiritual maturity is not found in how much you know. It's not found in how much of the Bible you have memorized. It's not found in how active your prayer life is. Real spiritual maturity has to do with letting 
go, learning to let go. Uh, 14th century German theologian Meister Eckhart uh, said this, which is so fantastic. The spiritual life has much more to do with subtraction than it does with addition. The spiritual life has much more to do with subtraction (coughs) than it does with addition. How often do we confuse these and we think, oh, the spiritual life is about how much I can know, how much I can accumulate, how much I can gain, how much I can... And he says, no, no, no. The real thing is about how much can you let go of? How much of yourself can you let go of? How much of understanding that it's not all about you can you actually let go of? Because if you can get to that place and do those things, then that's where the real spiritual maturity comes from. If you want true change, true transformation, you must, you absolutely must start with admitting that you are powerless. And the thing about this is, that this isn't just a one-time thing. It's not just I get the courage and I do it now. This is, this is like an ongoing sort of thing. This is like an everyday sort of thing. This is like a picking up your cross and denying yourself sort of thing. We must continually die to the self for the sake of transformation, for the sake of enlightenment, for the sake of life to the fullest. It is the only way because nothing changes if nothing changes. If you keep doing the same thing that you're doing now, you will keep getting the same results. Maybe you're happy with those results. Um, Maybe you're also living in denial. (laughs) Ah, Yeah. There's always something that we have that we can be working on. We are not complete, fulfilled yet beings. That fulfillment will only come in the God, the creator that we are made in the image of and continually lining ourselves with that image. Nothing changes, nothing changes. You have to be willing and open and bold enough to take the first step to admit that you and I and we are powerless. Easy in theory, very difficult in practice. Nothing changes if nothing changes. The way I want to wrap up the next few weeks of this series is by closing with what's known as a serenity prayer. We're going to put it on the screen. I want to read through it with you. I want this to be our prayer. I want this to be our thought. I want this to be our mantra, our thought process, <coughs> thought process for the next several weeks, our, our interaction with God, asking God to intervene in this moment and through this series. And so I'm going to read through this. Let this be your prayer. Let these words rest deep in your heart, in your mind, in your spirit, in your being. Um, yeah. Will you pray with me? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Let's say that again. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. My prayer for you is that you will boldly take this first step. And maybe you feel like I've already know this, I've already done this. I'm, I'm encouraging everybody to walk through this journey, through this process with us, because this is something that we can all <coughs> that we can all always use. My prayer is that you will be bold enough and brave enough to let go of the self, to let go of the ego, to be open enough and willing enough to get to the end 
of the self. Because that, my friends, is where the journey really begins. May God be working in you to create a better you. May God be working through you to create a better world. God bless and go in peace.